That's so glad you're here. You're watching online. We are glad that you are here with us as well. Well, there's a story of a young man that had just been hired of a CEO of a very uh, large high-tech corporation. The the Pre, the previous CEO was, was stepping down, and, and he was, as he was stepping down, he met with the new CEO as he was coming in privately, and the old CEO hands the new CEO three envelopes, all numbered one, two, three. The former CEO looks at the new guy, and he says, now, I, only, I want you to save these, and I only want you to open them if you run up against a problem that you don't think you can solve but make sure you open them in order. For instance, envelope one is one, two, and then three. So the new CEO agrees, and he puts the three envelopes in his desk. At first, things are going along really smoothly, but six months later, sales took a downturn. He starts to catch a bit of of heat. About at his wit's end, he remembers the envelopes. So he goes to his drawer, and he takes out envelope number one. The message read, blame your predecessor. That's a great idea, the man thought. So the new CEO called a press conference. He tactfully laid the blame at the feet of the former CEO. Satisfied with his comments, the press and Wall Street respond positively. Sales begin to pick back up. Well, about a year later, the company starts to experience another dip in sales. Combined this time with some serious product problems, so it's starting to get worse. Having learned from the previous experience, the new CEO goes to his office and he pulls out envelope number two and he reads the second envelope. The second envelope read, reorganize. So he thinks about it and he says that's a good idea and he comes with a plan to shift some things around and reorganize the company and before you know it, the thing starts to rebound. But then just a few short months later, the company once again fell onto difficult times. The CEO goes back to his office, he closes the door, and he takes the final envelope out of the drawer. He opens the envelope, pops open the paper, and the envelope simply reads, it's time to prepare three envelopes. (laughs) Well, there you go, the joys of leadership. That's just the way... It goes. We've been in a series that we're calling Movement 2040, and we're revisiting our vision as a church that will extend for the next 20 years that we're calling Vision 2040. We're using the acronym of FAITH to lay it out, F-A-I-T-H. Just as a recap, the letter F in the vision stands for feed and clothe the hurting. We talked about the impact our clothing closet and our food pantry has had, especially since the pandemic. We have outgrown our building, believe it or not. The letter A stands for answer the cry of our city. We talked about going after the children and the youth of our city because if these young people can surrender their lives to God through the power of the Holy Spirit, they will break that curse on their family and they will change their family tree. The letter I stands for invest in the kingdom. We talked about the goal of getting debt-free as a church, but also helping you get debt-free as well. To do this, we partnered with Ramsey Solutions, and we purchased the Financial Peace Curriculum for everybody. It's free to you. 
Helping you get out of uh, financial prison or debt is a part of our vision. So if you've not taken advantage of this, I'm going to throw that slide back up there again. I want you to take out your phone right now and simply text the word PEACE to 920-663-4778. 920-66-FIRST. Do that now. You'll get a response. Fill out the information and you'll have an email before you leave here today with all of the information to get started. This is our gift to you. This is something you can do from the comfort of your own home, learning how to budget, learning how to to, uh, to structure your money in a way that works for you. A lot of us have never been taught that. If you buy this outright, it's about $120 a family. It's our gift to you. You don't have to spend anything for it. We just want to help you get out of that financial prison. Today, we're going to be talking about the letter T, which simply stands for train leaders. Our goal with the letter T is to one day have a college campus or a campus extension right here at this church where people can come and not only get a college degree, but get hands-on ministry at the same time while they're at it. Just think about it. You get to go to college, but not only get a degree, but you get to learn how to run a food pantry. You get to learn how to run a bus ministry. You get to learn how to run the the media. You get to learn how to run a feeding program and feed hundreds of people a week. Learning how to run the kids and the youth ministries. Learning how to serve people. Hands-on experience. With all of the outreach that we do, we have a perfect environment to train people for full-time ministry here. Things that you want, we do things that you don't, you're not going to find in other places. We want to be a church that trains great leaders and then sends them out for them to then to change the world. And I'm still believing and praying for that college director because I want to get it started yesterday just like everything else. But I need someone that will take charge of that and run all aspects of the college. Maybe you're gifted in that area. And this is a ministry that maybe you would like to run with. Come talk to me if you are serious. Not just if it's a thought. Come talk to me if you are serious because I have been praying for you. And I will continue to pray until God sends that person. You know, we have lost some great young people because they've gone off to college somewhere else, and how great great would it be if they had the option to stay right here and stay with their family and continue to serve their church. So with that in mind, let's get started. As today's focus is on training leaders, it's on leadership, I want to talk to you for the next few moments on what a great leader looks like. Truth be told, we are all leaders. Every one of us in this room is a leader at something because every one of us have people in our lives that we influence. If you have children, you lead and influence your kids. At work, you may oversee a project or you may lead other people. But every one of us has some kind of interaction with other people. So a leader is defined as simply one that guides or directs. So have you ever given anybody advice? Have you ever given anybody bad advice? Amen. (laughs) But you're guiding them when you give them advice. That's a leader, good or bad advice. Have you ever trained somebody to do something? You are directing them. That is a leader. We are all leaders in some capacity. But as you know... There are good leaders and there are bad leaders. 
And I believe that we all have the potential within us to be a good leader because I believe, especially with what I'm talking about today, it is a choice. Doesn't matter where you were born, what family you were born into, how much of a head start or you have in life or don't have in life, this is a choice. So today I want to talk to you about two character traits that you will see in a good leader. And my goal is today that when you leave this place, you will be a better leader than when you walked in. You'll be a better leader in your family, you'll be a better leader in the workplace, and you'll be a better leader in school or wherever else it may be. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to start reading from uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to start reading at verse number 1. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, we're going to also have it up on the screens so you can follow along there. Nehemiah, the, the man Nehemiah was a great leader. If you read the book of Nehemiah, it's a really, it's a wonderful book in the Old Testament. There are so many leadership nuggets tucked away in this book. It is just, it's truly amazing. We could do a whole sermon series on leadership just based on the book of Nehemiah, and we may do that Someday, But for the sake of time, I'm just going to give you two leadership principles. There are many leadership principles. We're only going to talk about two of them today. Two leadership principles that you will see in a good or a great leader. So here we go. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse number 1. Here's what it says. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Verse 3, they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and they are in, in disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, this is Nehemiah, I sat down and I wept for day, in fact, for days I mourned and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, and the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and you obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Verse 10. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hands are your servants. O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart 
to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ as I attempt to explain these great leadership principles from your word. God, I just uh, thank you, Father, for your anointing today. And I just pray, Father, that as we leave this place, we would be better than when we walked in for your glory and your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me give you a little bit of a background to set the scene. Nehemiah was born to Jewish parents in Persia, which is modern-day Iran, during the Jews' exile from Jerusalem. He lives in the citadel in the capital city, which is the fortified palace of the Persians. Not only that, but he lives in the same palace as the king. His job is to be the cupbearer for the king himself. So basically his job was to drink from the king's cup before the king would drink in the event that the drink was poisoned. So if someone tried to poison the king, poor old Nehemiah is going to die first. Now I wonder how many people were in line to get that job. <laughs> if you think your job's bad, try that one. However, it, it was a very, very important role. Because it's a protection of the king. So Nehemiah had the assignment of being the king's cupbearer. And he hears that the city of Jerusalem, which is about 800 miles away from where he is at, is in complete ruins. He hears that the walls that once protected this great city had been, had been completely destroyed. And there's no longer any protection. When he hears of this news, he is compelled to do something. He is compelled to take action to help rebuild these walls. Now understand this. He lives in the palace with the king. He has a very comfortable life. But when he hears of this city in ruins, it compels him to do something. And he is willing to give it all, to sacrifice everything to help the people of the city. You see, the wall gave protection to the people of the city. The walls gave the people a sense of security. The walls gave them a barrier between enemies who might try to attack them. And it would give them time to prepare for the attack. They would put guards up in the towers of these walls and the guards would watch and they would, they would see if there was any opposing armies coming and if they were, there were, they would be able to sound the alarm and give them time to prepare. So the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC and so for 120 years this city has laid in ruins. 120 years. And the Jews at this time are actually given permission to return to their homeland from exile. But many of them refused and they were afraid because of the poor condition that Jerusalem was in and the fact that they had no protection. So many of them just refused to go. It's safer for us here. There was great fear and distress among the people because the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Now here's the thing. The walls of the city had been torn down, like I said, for 120 years. Think about that for a moment. 120 years and nobody does anything about it. Not one person in 120 years does anything to rebuild their city. 
Not one person did anything to make their city better. Nobody had a burden for the people living there. Nobody cared. Nobody was concerned about the welfare of the people. They just sat back and let things remain as they were. And as disturbing as that is, I hate to say it, but we still see the same thing in our culture today. You see, one of the problems facing our community, facing our city, if we're just being honest, is the fact that very few people actually care. I found that with a lot of churches, it's sad to say, but a lot of churches just don't seem to care, and that's why many people have labeled us as irrelevant and non-essential. They say they do, we say we do, but then we all sit back and are lazy boys and we kick our feet up and we, as we watch alcohol destroy the families of our city, we see the people addicted to drugs walk down the sidewalks and we turn our heads the other way. We see people hungry begging for bread and we shut our buildings down and we turn off the lights. We see families being torn apart. We see children in broken homes. We see all kinds of problems in the streets of our city and yet we just roll on with our lives. Nobody cares. And we see it and we point and we say, I sure wish somebody would do something about that. And God is saying, I'm glad you said that because I have called you to do something about that. I have called you to be a resource of change for your city. I have called you to rebuild what the enemy has torn down in your city. I have called you to rise up and carry the mantle of leadership in your city. 120 years, the city laid in ruins. And finally somebody steps up and says, enough. This has gone on long enough. Somebody stood up and finally decided to carry the mantle of leadership, and his name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah did not pass off the responsibility of rebuilding the walls to someone else. He could have. It would have made sense if he did, because he didn't even live there. It's 800 miles away from where he he lives. He wasn't even born there. But he decided to get off his hands and do something about it. And that is one of the character traits of a good leader. And so that leads me to the first point, or first trait. Trait number one, a good leader will take initiative. Now this is important, I need you to hear me. You see, a good leader will take initiative to solve the problems in front of them. They won't run from the problems. They won't bury their head in the sand and say, that's not my problem. Let someone else deal with it. Do you want to know a secret? This one thing will set you apart in your workplace. Following this one rule right here, take it from me, I guarantee you, this will get you promoted. If you see something that needs to be done and you just do it without being asked, that's called taking initiative. That's what a good leader does, and unfortunately that's rare because most people at work only want to do the bare minimum, collect their paycheck, and then go home. If it's not on my job description, I'm not going to do it. And that is the attitude of a bad leader. Taking initiative and going above and beyond, I'm going to tell you, will quickly set you apart from your coworkers almost overnight. Become an owner of your workplace. Let me explain to you what that means. Let's say you own a home and you have a pipe 
freeze or whatever, and it, there's a pipe, a water pipe in the basement that busts. It breaks. And so now you have water just dumping into your basement. You're upstairs, you hear this water all of a sudden, and so you walk downstairs, and here is this, this, this problem in your basement, and your, and your basement's going to flood. So what are you going to do at that time? You're the owner of this house. Are you going to go back upstairs and watch TV for the next couple hours? I was right in the middle of a, of a good, good movie. I'm going to go back up and watch that first. Is that what you're going to do? Absolutely not. No one would do that. Why won't you ignore the problem? Because you are the owner, and if you don't fix it, it's going to get worse. There is no plan B. But what if you had this mentality in your workplace? What if you had the perspective of an owner when you walked in to your work? It changes how you look at things. It changes how you view your job, and you are going to become very valuable to your employer. I'm thankful for the people here in this church that have the owner mentality. There's several of you. People that scoop the sidewalks without being asked. People that see something broken and they just take the initiative to fix it if they're able to. They have the owner mentality, and that's one of the traits of a good leader. Years ago, there was a social experiment done on the streets of New York, and a group of young men wanted to see how people would respond if there was a homeless child left on the streets in the, in the, in the brutal winter of New, in, of New York. What happened next would shock them, and it would make this video go viral. You might have seen it. Watch this. Uh, 
You know, I mean, why? Yeah, love you, brother. So much. Huh? Thank you. I know. So I mean, you know, back at the young age, your family, no family, no family. See, I can communicate because I'm homeless. You know, yeah. you know, I'm homeless. And you know, me being an older homeless person, you know, we gotta look out for one another. Because, you know, you know, maybe I can show you the road, but you know, if you're too young to be homeless like this. Yeah, I messed up in life. But you know, young, you can have a good chance in life, you know. Well, And you know, thank you for something. Hey, how are you, man? man? How's it going? My How's name's E.T. How you doing, E.T.? This is my brother, Mo. My name is Matt. We were down the block and we saw what you did, and we yeah. were uh, we were touched by what you did, man. Yeah. A lot of people walked by him, and yeah. uh, you know, and nobody you, were, nobody you as a homeless person, you said something. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah. That's yeah. how. That, that's actually our little brother, and that's he's not homeless. Not homeless. He's not homeless. We appreciate what you did, man. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man. Because you know, I've been on the guy. Yeah, we want to give you. Well, yeah, here's 500. Thank you, brother. Brother. Little boy laid there for two hours in the cold. Everybody passed him by. Not my problem, they said. Finally, a man that has some good leadership traits steps up to the plate. He was a homeless man. Let me tell you something. Your life circumstances will not determine, they don't determine if you are a good leader or a bad leader. Because this is a heart issue. Just because someone's wearing a suit and tie doesn't mean they're a good leader. This man did not have much. Now think about that for a moment. He gave the little boy his coat. This wouldn't be like, like me giving my coat and I've got two more in the closet at home. This man gave his coat. There is no second coat. He's giving away his warmth to this little boy. He didn't have much. But he took the initiative to solve the problem and help another person the best that he could. You see, what our city needs are more men and women that will carry the mantle of leadership and help solve the problems our city is facing. So Nehemiah steps up to the plate and he decides to do something about the torn down walls. And if you read on in the story, you will see that he faces major opposition. You will see he faces criticism. You will see people lie about him. And it seems to be challenge after challenge after challenge. But you will also see him overcome it all. He overcomes every obstacle put in his way. And in 52 days, he rebuilds the walls. He does in 52 days what no one else had been able to do for 120 years because he took initiative. So to sum this point up, bad leaders will say, it's not my job. If you catch yourself saying that, think about that for a moment. Good leaders will say, what can I do to help? 
A good leader will take initiative. Number two, a good leader will have empathy towards others. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Look at verse 3 again. It says, they said to me, this is the brother of Nehemiah um, and some of his friends speaking here. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, I, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. When Nehemiah heard about the situation and the struggle and the trouble of the people, it says he sat down and he wept. He sat down and he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed, not just for a little 20 minutes. He did it for days Nehemiah felt the pain of the people to such a degree that it brought him to his knees and he cried out to God in prayer for the people of this city. Let me ask, when was the last time you got on your knees before God and you just cried out to God for the needs of another person? I wonder how many people here in our city cry out to God for the precious children that are being mentally, physically, and sexually abused. This is happening right now as I speak. For the women that are being raped and prostituted. For the families that have been ripped apart. For the single moms, the single dads that can barely make it and they're just scraping by. For those that are trapped in alcoholism and addiction. For those that have no home or no shelter. I wonder how many people are on their knees crying and praying and fasting for those that have been abandoned, abused, and just thrown away like yesterday's trash. Why is it that all the things in life that ought to break our heart doesn't break our heart? And we just roll on in life like nothing happened. The thing that breaks our hearts are things like politics. And if somebody's wearing a mask or not, those are the things that are breaking our heart when these struggles are real and we look at these struggles and we say, that's not my problem. God help us. Because our culture has become so self-centered, so self-focused. We have been so zoomed in on me, myself and I that I just don't care about the world that's crumbling around us. Nehemiah could have stayed right where he was and lived his good life in his good job, in his life of comfort. He could have stayed right there and it would have been business as usual with no regard to what's happening around him in Jerusalem. It doesn't affect him whatsoever. But that's not what he did. He rose up and he sacrificed his comfort for the lives of others. And that's the mark of a great leader. He wept for them. He fasted and prayed. He didn't weep for them, fast and pray, and take a selfie of himself doing it and then post it to social media. Nobody knew. If social media would have been there, Nehemiah wouldn't have done that. He fasted and prayed for these people. You see, a great leader will have empathy towards others, true, genuine empathy, because you know it's genuine when you weep and you fast and you pray for days. 
to sum this point up, bad leaders care only about themselves. Good leaders put the interests of others above themselves. That's what Jesus did. And they do this many times at great cost to them personally. A good leader will show empathy. And I close by asking this. Is there anyone or anything right now that you are lifting up to God personally? Is there anything or anyone that maybe you are fasting for in your life right now? I believe every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online has the potential to be a Nehemiah. Every one of us in this room has the potential to be a great leader. These are only two traits of a great leader, but this is, you'll usually see these two in a great leader. But I want to tell you something. It will come at a cost. Every great leader, ask them, they pay a price. And that's why great leaders are not common. That's why in your workplace, being a great leader will set you apart from everyone else. Because you're willing to rise above and do the things that no one else is willing to do. And not complain. Great leaders are rare, but God uses great leaders to change cities. God uses great leaders to change workplaces. God uses great leaders to change schools. Some of you young people listen to me. You can be a Nehemiah. So what kind of leader do you want to be? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.